and welcome to this, the latest edition of ESSR Feature. I'm your host this week, I'm Stephen Wilson, and for this latest edition of our Feature Show, we're going to be going back in time. We're going to go back 20 years, in fact, to the demise of one of the biggest wrestling companies of all time. You may be wondering, haven't Suplex Retweet done a show about the demise of WCW? We have. But we're going to go more exact on this show tonight. We are going to look at the final year of WCW when the shit really hit the fan, when everything just went completely peat dong. So get your butts on your seat or jo- while you're out jogging, whatever, however you listen to your podcast. And please, the housekeeping that we do at the start of every podcast, please, social media and follow us if you retweet for them all. If this is the first time you're listening to us, then hit that big subscribe button on any podcast network, the one you're listening to on. If you use two podcast networks, go on the other one. Hit subscribe to that too, even if, even if you only listen on Spotify. Please do that. We're on them all. And we're also on YouTube. Lots of great content on YouTube. We've got Quiz Showdown. I hosted the last one on Legends of Wrestling, which should hopefully be something you enjoy. We've got the Book It Tournament. I'm in the final of that. It's all about plugs to me. Uh, we've also got Conspiracy Theory, the retro, re- retro Reviews, and loads more potentially to come over this year. But let me introduce my panel for this show on the demise of WCW. First, as a man who I would class as the Vince Russo of ESSR. In his head, he's a bit of a maniacal genius, but when he suggested to me to do a Viagra on a pole-themed quiz, I thought... That's a step too far. Scott McLeod, everybody. <laughs> I'm telling you, bro, that is rating, bro. Nobody would expect it. <laughs> I wonder how I got a poll quiz with what? Would you have to kind of like claim up to answer a question? And then, I don't know. I imagine <laughs> I don't it gets harder as the quiz goes on. Uh... This is just going to be a theme of the show, why not? It's the last year of WCW. Uh, and joining us this evening, you may have not heard his dulcet tones for a long time on this podcast, but he's back, a man who we class as the Fraser Crane of Scottish podcasting. <laughs> not for his knowledge, no, just because he has a fondness of turtlenecks in his history. Uh, Andy Mitchell, everybody. I know, I should have brought out the turtleneck. Yeah, just like Fraser, it almost feels like I've been away for 20 years and I've just come back. Funny enough, around about the same time that WCW finished. So did Fraser, but you know. <laughs> it's good to be back. How is everyone? Yeah, pretty well. <laughs> all, all good. All... Uh, right, I think we should probably get into the topic and go on to the final year of WCW. Now, we're not going to go through from the start of 2000, though. We're going to start at a particular point, And the point that we're going to start at is April 10th. 2000, an episode of WCW Nitro, which in many people's eyes is probably one of the most memorable episodes of Nitro ever. Not for the actual wrestling involved, if you watch that particular episode of Nitro, my God. No, it's because this was the night that the powers combined, yes, 
Eric Bischoff, Vince Russo, two of the most infamous men in professional wrestling till that point, became an on-screen partnership in WCW. They were the creative force and they founded a stable. I think it's fair to say it's a stable. It had more members in it than the NWO, for God's sake. Uh, called the U Bloods, which was a group of up-and-coming talents that included one half of the Nasty Boys, and to try and become pretty much the force in WCW and take away from all the old-timers who had hogged the spot for too long, known as the Millionaires Club, featuring names such as Sting, Ric Flair, Lex Luger, Hulk Hogan. Psycho said to name a few. Uh, Andy, I'll go to you on this one, mate. What is your memories of this particular segment on this show where these two stables became something? Well, I um, I never actually saw it when I was a kid. I was a WWE fanboy uh, through and through. But uh, looking back, and I kind of wish I saw it as a kid to see if it was as confusing now what they were trying to pull off than it was back then, you know, hindsight 2020. But yeah, I kind of get what Vince Rudd's show was trying to do. It's like rebranding and trying to start from the start and build up these newer uh, people with the, the new blood. But again, it's just it's Vince Rudd, so he's got all these crazy ideas, but sometimes they just don't work. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of like my thoughts on it. Yeah, Scott, it was, if you look at some of the guys in that uh, the ring at that particular time that we're looking at, there was obviously Jeff Jarrett, who was the focal point of that stable from a wrestling point of view. We also had Booker T, um, Vampiro, I believe... Rey Mysterio was probably in, was in there somewhere. There was a, if you look historically, there's some big names in terms of wrestling uh, legends in there. Yeah, it was rude to see Booker T in amongst all that, but I don't think he would be a part of the group for very long because I think he fit being more on his own as a, as a good guy rather than a heel in that uh, group. But I had never seen this episode of Nitro and I thought for the show I'll sit down and I watched it. <laughs> took me exactly six minutes into a two-hour show to realise how much of a bad decision this was. Because, God, this episode of Nitro and this promo segment is Jeff Jarrett and Russo going about how badly Vince Russo has been treated by the WWF and how his ideas when he came into WCW were first rejected, which is why they had to bring Bischoff back. Like, I just, I even had to put in my notes down for the episode, Russo, stop whining, you little bitch. Just like, he sounds like a kid going white to his mum and dad, like, see the big boys, they wouldn't let me play with the toys the way I wanted to and they're mean to me. I didn't want to play with them anyway. Mm. I just, uh, he randomly has a go at Ric Flair now. Uh, apparently they had history him and Ric Flair now. Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't have history with Ric Flair in some sort of passion? But if you never actually, in 19, no, 2000, when the internet wasn't such a thing, I don't know if you would maybe known too much about it, so you maybe have a bit of confusion, like, why does he hate Ric so much? But it makes yeah, a bit of sense, I mean. Yeah, because they always, yeah. like, they keep throwing in we like, insider references or references things that nobody would really know that much about. Like, even they even get Bischoff in on it, where like Bischoff says to Sid in that same episode, Nitro, he references the scissors incident. Oh, yeah, with, I got uh, on Anderson, and nobody reacts to it except Mark Madden on commentary. <laughs> Mark well, Madden, basically asking, oh, he had a rough yeah. night then, too. <laughs> yeah, he's basically asking about the scissors, and Sid's just like, What's going on? Ah, uh, yeah, all right. Um, Mark Madden has a rough night on commentary that night. He, he gets ragged, oh, well, I say ragdolled. He does. He gets chucked into the ring by Tank Abbott, 
Tank Abbott, a man who apparently Vince Russo pitched three months earlier to win the world title. An MMA fighter, best known for beating up John Farouk's character in Friends. <laughs> Absolutely sloppy. Russo likes to talk about how badly he was treated at first when he first came down to be like a couple of months in he gets sent home and then brought back and he has to work with Ray Bischoff. Apparently one of the reasons he was sent home is like they soon realised how bad he was like, this guy wants us to actually seriously consider putting the world title on Tank Abbott, who when he came out on this episode Nitro, they said this guy emphasises he's the embodiment of new blood. This man looks like he was born with the face of a 40-year-old man, took ages to grow into it. He looks like, oh, he's a shoot fighter. Like, no, he looks like your stepdad joined a gym. <laughs> I mean, he he, has, he, he he calls it Goldberg. I mean, that's a match I don't know if I want to see, you know? <laughs> but what? Uh, Even that promo he admits he can't wrestle. I don't know a wrist wristwatch. I'm not a wrestler. I'm a shoot fighter. like, so you're basically admitting that you're shite. <laughs> that's what Goldberg should do these days. Yeah, uh, but, and the one thing, um, one guy I found interesting this whole, I mean, the whole idea for the Millionaires Club, you blood, is to try and get you these you guys over. And one of the guys that really put a lot of effort into this first show is Billy Kidman. Now, yeah. fair play to Billy Kidman. <laughs> he comes out of a closet with Tony Wilson, you know, because he's clearly had a quickie, you know, <laughs> or something. I don't understand. But that's clearly gave him the confidence to think, I'm going to call out Hulk Hogan, which... Yeah. If, they'd, if the long-term plan was for Billy Kidman to get one over on Hulk Hogan for a long-term feud, that would be great. It would look Billy Kidman off it, but I think Billy Kidman gets one night worth of hype for this feud, and then at Spring Stampede the following Sunday, he gets absolutely kicked from pillar to post by Hogan at the pay-per-view, and you just think, what was the point in all that? I know. Again, it's like that thing. I think Finch Russo is trying to get all the upstarters, like the, the younger ones, to kind of get over, and then Hogan's just been like, oh, you know what? I think because he does do a few jobs this Hogan during this time, but then obviously he's still got that creative control. So obviously it's like Hogan's like that thing. He's the big name, but again, he's like he's a bit too like how much of it is him interfering, and like I kind of don't need like how can Billy Kidman get over the kind of thing because obviously Hogan's Hogan, and Billy Kidman's like this little cruiserweight guy. Aye, definitely, and. Uh... Couple other ones in that uh, on on the night, Scott. That you thought they, they could do something big with these guys if they do it right. Uh, well, a few of them actually. There was a uh, Buff Bagwell, Shane Douglas, and a man who had become that seventies guy. I'm sure it was that called uh, Mike Awesome, taking out a uh, injured Kevin Nash. So who would foresee Kevin Nash being injured? <laughs> <laughs> was it his quad by any chance? I can't remember. Just came out crutchy. He was under. He said, "I'm off the phone to Scott Hall." No, Scott Hall was sacked two months ago. <laughs> oh, that's the thing they do. They kept teasing that Scott Hall was going to come back eventually, but in real real life, he was really struggling with his issues at the time, and WCW didn't want to bring him back so much. So they even have a match for Scott Hall's contract on the line. I think a couple months later. But the thing I looked at Mike Austin, I was like, this may be his big big debut. Shocking! The ECW champion showed up on Nitro as a part of the WCW roster. I'm like. Mate, you're wearing a fanny pack. That is not extreme. Like, all I can focus on when he's beating up Kevin Nash is he's wearing a fanny pack and he's got a really weird mullet in 2000. Oh, is, he hasn't been made the 70s guy yet, and I'm looking like, you do not look like you fit in at all. Nah, he was not. Uh, I mean, you give it to them in a way. I mean, they, they, 
they thought the fo- it's a formula that should work in wrestling. You have the young guys taking on the veterans, and then eventually the mm. young guys get over the veterans. But it was kind of just a case of this was just kind of a one night thing. And and I think a big thing people criticised about it is they immediately put these you up and coming guys as all the heels. And yeah. I think if you have just straight heel guys against these older veterans, where the grief is apparently that these guys are being, you know, second fiddle to all these older guys for so long. It, yeah, it's a bit. It doesn't just feel right, you know. Yeah, it's a bit bad when the the good guys are called the Millionaires Club, and uh, and it's like had like Terry Funk in there, who you know I don't know if he's a millionaire, but he always just loves to wrestle until he's seventy. But yeah, it did just again. It's like why the why they giving the Millionaires Club like the face stable and the new blood, and then essentially it just becomes a rehash of NWO anyways eventually. So again, it's it's that sort of um, hot potato booking. Like, like they've got all these ideas, but they don't actually want to like go anywhere with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you talk about yeah, like NWO. They basically go as far on the on this episode of Nitro as when Kidman takes out uh, Hogan, he even spray spray paints the initials of the New Blood onto Hogan like the NWO would. So again, immediately the comparisons are going to be made. And I was going to bring out a point if you didn't even like the idea of the the two groups being faces and the heel face dynamic, like. Yeah, the millionaires. If you put Bischoff with the millionaires, uh, i.e., the ones that everybody liked because they were established and made them the bad guys, so you've got Nash, Hogan, uh, Luger, Steiner, all guys who are good at playing heels. I mean, Luger, Luger has never been over. Luger has never had a prolonged period of being over because he's not likable. Because he comes in as a face on this nitro and is sad because his spotlight is being taken off and he can't flex in another ring. That's not a good guy. I, I can't I find that hilarious. Like, 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 I find that hilarious. So he just kind of stops like, what? Where? <laughs> where? Where's my? Really? I mean, there's there's some really bad performers on this particular nitro. I mean, you mentioned the thing with Luger, uh, Kimberly Page sells a guitar shot. Like, oh my god, it's like. <laughs> barely even breathe. Oh my! You discredit Kimberly's acting. She was in Forty Year Old Virgin, don't you know? <laughs> For like two minutes. I don't yeah. know. We can talk about actors in a wee bit when it comes to our world championships. I mean, world championships are something. They decide to vacate the world titles, Andy, if, and they say all the belts will be decided at our pay per view on Sunday's Spring Stampede. It's like, right, that's, that's, that sounds okay on paper, but we have. Yeah. We end up with a pay per view. You know, your first pay per view after that, you've got 14 matches on your pay per view. One of them goes over, only one of them goes over 10 minutes. You know, it's like, how is this going to do anything? This is like car. This is this screams Bischoff. He tries no, no Bischoff. Sorry, Russo tries to do car crash TV, but on the pay per view, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it just something like it feels like just a case of go, 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 and see what and see what hits the wall. Yeah, because it's like with WCW, they're famous for having the long matches, like the other like battles and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden, again, it's Russo thinking, oh, what we've done in WWE will work in WCW, but it's like, the, the, again, yeah, it's, <clears throat> nobody wants to go and sit and watch a 10-minute WCW match. Uh, even a Goldberg match in 10 minutes is a bit bad, you know, that's why it's about two minutes. But, you know, when you've got, because you've got better, like, you've got the performers there, and you've got these, and this legacy, but yeah, it's just, again, it's one of those, it's a good idea, let's take every title off everyone and just have this big gauntlet. You know, like, uh, Deadly Games, uh, Survivor Series 1998, 1998 I think is a very underrated 
a pay-per-view because of the whole gauntlet with the title, same as like WrestleMania when uh, Savage won. But again, they're doing it with every title in this rather than just the one title. If they just stripped the, 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 the World Heavyweight Champion or something like that, it might have been a bit more interesting. But yeah, it's like just firing off in all cylinders and just missing every mark. Uh, the only thing to me it hits the mark on this pay-per-view score is uh, I love this uh, the Terry Funk Norman Smiley match for the hardcore title. I think it's a thing of absolute beauty. It's just like this is in the era obviously with the, with the WWE had the hardcore title. I mean one month earlier WWE did a blooming hardcore gimmick battle uh, not a gimmick battle, a hardcore gauntlet match type thing at WrestleMania 2000 which is one of the underrated gems of the year 2000. Uh, but Norman Smiley, man. I'd never heard of Norman Smiley. I watched this. I was going, this guy is absolutely hilarious. What the heck is he just screaming about? It's Terry Funk. He's sitting. He can't barely move. <laughs> this is like, he, he had his first retirement in 1983, and here he is in WCW in 2000, going after the hardcore title with a shit-scared Norman Smiley trying to, doing everything he can to get away with him. And the other main player in the hardcore division is, yeah, one half of the bloody nasty boys for some reason. <laughs> And that's the thing about Spring Stampede. It's one of the biggest clusterfucks of a pay-per-view you'll ever see because you've got the tag team title like tournament to crown a new tag champ, a US title tournament, a six-away to crown a new cruiserweight champion, the finals of the world title tournament. Like That is just too much. We've known about WrestleMania having too many matches. This is just too much to follow. And then it then presents an issue about the new blood being the heels because this may be their crown moment, all these young guys finally like getting over. Like all the new blood win titles except for the hardcore title that goes to Terry Funk. So like all oh, these old guys are monopolizing the scene. You know, these new guys who are heels are monopolizing the title scene. But they're young, Chris, you should like them. Why aren't you liking them? Yeah, I mean any pay per view that starts off with Rick Flair and Lex Luver look Luver defeating the team of the Harris brothers and the Mamelukes with the disco in funnel. Still never get why Disco Funnel goes with the Mamelukes. I mean, it's it's like Nunzio and the FBI. You know, that makes sense. But these guys with the Disco Inferno, I mean, I don't know. This, this Disco Inferno is... There's never been somebody in, in pro wrestling with a more slappable face than Disco Inferno. <laughs> Especially now when he's tweeting about opening stuff back up again during COVID. I know, he's an absolute numpty, you know. But mm-hmm. it's... Uh, it's a pay-per-view and it ends in typical Russo fashion with a swerve and mm. that swerve being Kimberly Page turns on her husband. Do you think that's like the basis of why DDP started chasing after Undertaker's wife, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. Just, uh, again, it's that uh, Russo thing of a swerve just for a swerve or how do we surprise the audience rather than just having a, a clean match where somebody comes out clear factor and actually gives a bit of prestige to the, the world title. And then it's like, yeah, he's, uh, DTP's wife turns on him and hits him with, is it hit him with a guitar, if I remember correctly? Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just that, I just, I don't know. It's just daft. No wonder it didn't last over the year, you know, the WCW. Uh, it, was, it was really a bit of a car crash, and there was so much from this one that, I mean... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the car crash TV, Fintress so wanted, is it's not the way it came out, it's a totally different car crash. Mm-hmm. No, because see, from that night show, they had some potential. Say they had a, obviously I mentioned we mentioned Kevin Hogan, uh, Abbott Goldberg had no potential. Uh, Douglas and Ric Flair potentially got some 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 stuff in there. Cut Herring and uh, friend of the show meet Sean Stasiak. You know, maybe 
no, no. But no. the one feud that kind of came out of this one, which kind of tore, I think, a bit of people, was the Vampiro and Sting feud, which I remember going into this whole a couple of months before that. And these two, Sting and Vampiro, they was teaming up as the brothers in paint. I mean, you know, that's just wrestling logic. These two guys wear face paint. Let's put them together. And um, But they were over, and they were really popular. So, Scott, the decision to suddenly turn Vampiro on Sting with not really much, you know, reasoning for it other than I've been put here. I've been picked for this group. Whereas in a couple of months, this stable was a thing. It wasn't just, it was shown that some of the young guys could still go with the Millionaire Club guys if they wanted to, but Vampiro mm. just suddenly turning on Sting was really odd at this particular point. And I think it may have been a bit of a botch move. Yeah, it was one of the things you had to be on like one side or the other, but like I don't think Sting really belonged in a group called the Millionaires Club because Sting is like the foundation of like WCW is the guy who'd been there like since the early days. And so him being caught up in the storyline really made like no sense. It didn't benefit him. I don't think it benefited Vampiro. Anyway, they just kept having these progressively gimmicky matches. I mean you talk about like pairing people with pain. I mean Vampiro I think in some time in two thousand gets paired with bloody insane clown posse for some <laughs> reason. Because again they have only, their only memorable thing in WCW is when the fact they fought on top of one of Mike, Mike Austin's 70s bus, he powerbombs one of them on the bus, and then one of them starts to slide off, and you see Mike Austin panicking to try and catch their leg to something falling and fails. I mean, you say that as well. I mean, Booker T ended up teaming with Hugh Erection at one point as well, which uh, is just absolutely... Bro, yeah. <laughs> it's just absolutely... Oh, oh G.I. Bro, freaking his recent comeback to... T- Bad buddy. Oh, freaking hell. Like, I, uh, I, I made my notes looking around the ring during the reboot Nitro. Ahmed Johnson is out there. I'm like, what the hell is he doing here? And I forgot he came back as Big T. Oh, Big T. Right he's Big T. He's in Harlem Heat 2000. Ah, he won the rights to the T, so Booker T couldn't call himself Booker T because he had to lost the rights to use the T name. Oh, God. Great I'm starting to realise why this company's dead. <laughs> <laughs> there was... Um, there was some interesting names in that ring. Virgil was there. Oh, that plucky underdog, Aye, up and coming. Virgil, Virgil was there at one point. I mean, you know, Finley. You, Finley you, was you, there. You look at else. Uh, go back to the Vampiro Sting feud, and I think a big issue that they had very early on with this feud is going back to that Spring Stampede pay per view, yeah. and uh, Sting beats Vampiro pretty clear as a whistle in this pay per view. And that's a feud that heck, this feud suffered very early on, the fact that Vampiro kept losing in normal wrestling matches to Sting, while then appearing randomly from under the ring to pull him out and cover him in blood like he'd been watching the Brood in WWE. Yeah, do you think do you think they were trying to like do Sting and uh, Vampiro like sort of as the Kane and Undertaker of WCW and having those like gimmicky matches? Uh, but yeah, because uh, doesn't Sting beat Vampiro in a submission match? And usually, if someone gets beaten in a submission match, it's like, well, you know, you, how do you come back from that? You you get beat clean, like again, it's it's just. But Vampiro isn't he like booked to just like, again as uh, Scott mentioned, he joins the insane clown posse at one point, so clearly. The character himself is unhinged. So, does that work in uh, Finn Russo's booking, or you know what, what they try to do? But obviously, it's like Sting comes out the bigger bit, bit person, and I don't think what Vampiro really gets any uh, heat from the matches. 
Nah, mm-hmm. it, it really doesn't, Scott, because they kind of like... They seem to have... Vamp- Sting wins the wrestling matches, but Vampiro seems to win all these random other encounters that they have. I mean, for God's sake, they fought in a fucking graveyard. <laughs> Yeah, and like, it's not like, it's not boneyard match type graveyard. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. They're like well, WWE does buried alive matches. Let's wrestle in an actual graveyard, and then have Vampire win, and then have to walk all the way back to the arena. I think he has to do it before he's declared the winner. And then there's a match <laughs> where Sing, or more accurately, a stunt man that looks like Sing, gets sent off, set on fire, and thrown off part of the stage as well. Wow. So there's again the connection to Kane and. Also, there's a bit where like he gets like the bloodbath kind of thing on thing where he's covered in blood on a nitro, shows up to the next thunder still covered in blood as if it's affected him. It really just makes thing look like he he hasn't washed, which it doesn't make give him the best look. And this thing has got superhuman abilities in this feud. He seems to like come back very quickly from stuff, other than you know his real that uh, human torch match that kind of Scott mentioned wow. at the Great American Bash. I mean, you talk about absolute guff I mean some stuff that they've done in the past it looks like semi guff you can at least go right that's not too bad but this is absolutely honking yeah because it's like with Sting he's not really like although he's a gimmick character he's not a gimmick sort of match person he's a he's a technical wrestling like masterclass if anything and it's like yeah it's just a case of is it Russo just coming in and he's like oh you 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 wear face paint and you're quite similar to the Undertaker let's just put you in all these mad matches like uh and yeah, as you were saying about his superhuman ability, it would be good if he used that to like uh, grow back in his that ball touch and uh, he had when he was facing against the uh, uh, Triple H. But yeah, I get it's just that it's like it's that Ventrusso book, you know, they're just taking someone and not really knowing what to do with them. And again, they're putting them in a, an awful it was a human torch match because what is it? Does WWE have the rights to Inferno? So. Yeah, but at least. The Inferno matches quite entertaining at times, even though they're yeah. burning the person. This is like, oh, they fought up into the dark area above the ring where you could not actually see anything. So it was just like, all you could just see was glimpses of the paint. It was that would have been oh, slowly coming off as well. Like so, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was bad. But Scott Andy mentioned uh, people that Vince Russo did not have a clue at the book, and we mentioned them earlier on. Uh, Goldberg. Uh, very early on in that uh, on that particular Nitro there was being the fans were crying out for Goldberg to be there but obviously I can't remember exactly why he wasn't there off the top of my head it's not something I looked up before the show I but, think I think uh, I think actually the reason is I believe it started out that's where he did the infamous bit where he tried to smash the car and, and, he, his arm. and he cut his arm and nearly bled to death because he broke the wrong window the one, one window that wasn't gimmicked and so he legit nearly <laughs> Like cut himself very seriously. Yeah, didn't just say he could have like if it would have been any worse, he would have lost his arm. Yeah, he, he cut a little, a little deep then he went because the glass got into his arm. So yeah, give oh, it a lot very serious. Ah, oh, he's an absolute. Oh, he's an idiot. Uh, but fans loved him. Don't get me wrong, fans loved him. Man who headbutts lockers to get himself psyched up. Of course, he's an idiot. Jay comes out concussed like that. Mm. Really popular, <laughs> but. And the thing is, like, the, the, when he gets there, they decide, oh, he's really popular. Let's turn him heel. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put him with Russo and Bischoff and make him the higher heavy guy. I mean, like, what a bad move. That's like Austin. And, I mean, that's, that was before. That's probably where Vince looked at him and think, hmm, maybe I should turn Austin heel in his home state. <laughs> mm, yeah. 
the thing is though with Goldberg, because obviously like heels work the match. And Goldberg can't I don't know, like can can uh like a, a heel just win a match in two minutes and then everyone expect it to just be like as good as when he was uh I don't know. again I think it was just they were losing steam, weren't they, after the streak with Goldberg. So it's like, oh what do we do? Oh here's a, a crazy idea that might get people interested is let's turn them heel when it's like Okay, and it wasn't. It wasn't even healed for that long. How long was it? Was it a few weeks or a few months? Mm. Not a few weeks, if any. Maybe it was just that he cut his arm too deep that he was just like, like I don't know. Maybe it affected his bloody brain. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, that blood uh, just going the wrong way. Yes. To be fair, Scott, I think makes an interesting point that from. The end of 1998 when he loses the world title to Kevin Nash. Can you really pinpoint anything he actually does? And it's kind of like, yeah, we've kind of a one-hit wonder with this guy. We've bitten this man undefeated streak and he, it was a hit. But the fact that when there's no allure of that streak, he's pretty much nothing. And we don't, they don't, that was the clear thing. They just did not know what to do with him. Yeah, because after that, the only notable thing that stands out to me is the fact that it's not even a good thing. It's when he kicked Bret Hart so hard that Bret Hart's career ended and that's like the only other highlight of his career from that point yeah. then he cuts his cell and like they start, I remember they started and they tried to start a new end of rule that he was maybe the foil for but then again he cut himself then comes back as a heel which as Andy pointed out probably wasn't actually for that long and then he tried to feud with Russo and then Russo before he leaves although they continue the story and after Russo eventually leaves WCW is that they try and make Goldberg recreate the streak and if he can break his original like record of 150 odd, or whatever number was they made up, that he would that would only be only then that he would get a WCW title shot. Which spoilers, he never got to that number, probably <laughs> because WCW died before then. Because wasn't it as well the stipulation that if he lost, at all he'd get fired from WCW? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if he felt like heel Luger and he accidentally speared the ref, but then went on to win, but then Luger came in and said, "No, you hit the ref. You should have been DQ'd." Which means you should have lost, which means you should be out of here. I mean, they don't know what to do with Goldberg, yeah, I think it's fair to say. I think you could also agree there when you mentioned Luger that Luger is sucks. <laughs> He's a total package. Is not an <sighs> I don't know. I, I can understand why Vince decided that for WrestleMania 10. I don't want to put the bell on this guy. <laughs> uh, but another random one as well that, episode, that first episode of Nitro. <laughs> where all the stables get from they just have this random moment where they pan to Bret Hart sitting like like 10th row from the back of the crowd it's just like they're all even the bloody commentators seem really confused going is that Bret Hart what's, what's Bret Hart doing here like, was there like, any payoff to that <laughs> I don't think it was because the only thing he could wrestle like after that because of the concussions he'd already been deemed like unfit to wrestle like, yeah, like, when the first time they show him He's like, it's actually a bit smoking in here. You can't actually see him. You have to squint your eyes. Like, is that Bret Hart? And they cut back after commercial with a better shot of him. Like, what the hell's Bret Hart doing here? Had some like dates left on his contract. Because wasn't that the same? Was it the same year he had the cr- the crash, the motorcycle crash? Was that two thousand or was that? I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. It was obviously, the year before they had the thing with Goldberg. Yeah, because it was the kick to the head, and then I think it was the the, the crash was the thing that kind of uh, put the nail in the coffin. For his career, it's a, it's a shame on him though. But that's kind of the, we highlight again the issues of that first particular episode <laughs> with this mm. whole million not millionaires club 
your blood thing. It's just like, here's here's a bunch of ideas. Let's chip them at the wall and see what sticks. It's like that's not sticking. That's not sticking. That's not sticking. Let's have a melee at the end of the uh, end of the show, and we'll send the cat out there because the cat is the what people think when they see bad guy. Yeah, Mr. Cat, Woody Miller. <laughs> oh, well, he gets a he gets a random cameo in the two thousand and four Royal Rumble, like three yeah. years after WCW died. <laughs> I remember, I remember the hype of him going into WWE, and it was like, "Who is this person?" And then I remember when Brothers Clay used the same music. I was like, "Is that the Cat music?" <laughs> he spent like much in two thousand as like the commissioner. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why. Of all people, he chose him to be the guy in charge, like on screen of the show. Uh, and then he feuds with like Mike Sanders of the Natural Born Thrillers. Mike Sanders, the worst nickname in all of wrestling. His nickname was Above Average. Like, <laughs> you're not average, you're just above average. I think that would have been worse than the needs for Buddy Retribution, that name. Yeah. Natural Born Thrillers had some potential. They had uh, Chuck Palumbo, Sean O'Hare, John Stasiak, man with the best dropkick in wrestling, Mark Jindrak. <laughs> yeah, Jindrak had a lot of potential. Mark amazing drop kick was pretty amazing. I remember when him and uh, Garrison Cade uh, were in the WrestleMania 20, that uh, four way tag team match. Ah, uh, yeah. He, he could have been stuff. He should have been an evolution. Yeah. Hey ho, hey ho. I remember Sean O'Hare, like, just because his finisher was called the Sean Ton Bomb or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> the first time this Chuck Palumbo's got a really. Aggressive looking super kick that was not aggressive at all. But we'll, we'll talk about the final episode of Nitro in a bit. Uh, we'll talk now about greatest world champions of all time David Arquette. <laughs> yes. Um, you mean uh, Mrs. Monica Geller? I mean, uh, Mrs. Conley. I mean, uh, yeah, David Arquette. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Who gets um, some of that uh, uh, friend's money, apparently, as well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she um, ca- she's got a cameo in a, pr- in, a, in a vignette that he does. Yeah, so it's called right, Russell. She tells him, You're the one wrestler. I'm the world champ. Yeah, because he's holding the championship and Kurt Russell kind of comes in and he's like, What are you doing? I don't think Kurt Russell knew. I don't think Kurt Russell's meant to be in that, but I think he just want, having to wander by and just look yeah. like, Who the hell is this? Yeah, what is this going on? Yeah. <sighs> But, I mean, have you had the pleasure of seeing Ready to Rumble? I haven't. No, I, I have. That's what I was saying before you cut off. Is that that's just the part I'm most excited to talk about because it's probably the part I know the most about. Because uh, I remember when it came out, uh, one of my friends had it on video, and we used to watch it quite a lot, and we just thought it was amazing because it was like a wrestling film. But obviously, you're a kid; you don't have any taste uh, in like hindsight 2020, and it, it's just baffling. Um, it's like you've got DDP as the bad guy for some reason. <laughs> There's a really good uh, wrestling with regret video where he talks about it, and it is kind of like they're trying to like make out that wrestling's real, but also wrestling's not real, and it's like kind of like what you kind of. It's just it's baffling the film itself, and yeah, obviously it's publicity. They're like, oh, let's let's make this film, like, let's get this film to make more money by giving David Arquette the title, and then the film didn't make any money, and the ratings uh, dropped <laughs> on Nitro. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 I, I remember they plugged David Arquette quite a lot on that 
Nitro that I've referred to about a million times, but I'm going to refer to it again. That one on where all the titles get stripped. They talk about Arquette on it a lot. It's like, ah, yeah, David Arquette's going to be this, David Arquette this, blah, blah, blah. blah. It's like, you do realise that he was in Scream. <laughs> he's not yeah. even the main guy in Scream. He's, he's, he's great in Scream. He is decent in Scream, but yeah. I, I, I try to think of David Arquette films, and it's just like Scream, Scream 2. Scream free. Scream before. Your dark doesn't die in any of the screams. He's the only one to live on. I know he's yeah. something, some, something else. He's going to be in Scream Five. Imply he's the killer in one of them, and then it, turn, it turns out he isn't. I, I, I think I've only seen up to Scream Two. I don't think I've seen Scream Three or Scream Four and that type of stuff. I don't know. I get bored, but. I mean, I what other films he's been in? Three Thousand Miles to Graceland, which was also an awful film. <laughs> is he in any good films? Uh, <laughs> Scream. <laughs> Scream. <laughs> is he in any good? <laughs> he's fucking Courtney Cox's husband. That's what he's best known for. Yeah, but he's in an episode of Friends as a yeah, where he's a stalker guy who dates Phoebe, thinking that she's Ursula. He's twin because <laughs> he got dumped by Ursula. Oh, yeah, because he stalks, uh, he stalks Phoebe in it. So that's probably where DDP got the idea from with the stalker gimmick, you know. <laughs> Anyway, back to the wrestling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about that Nitro dealing uh, with? And we're so ambitious for running down like the, the millionaires club. They say, Bishop says, hey, 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 oh, what's wrong? No Hollywood premiere to go to tonight because it'll be the Friday Rumble. How dare you be at some premiere and not at WCW Nitro before later in the show throw it to WCW stars are at the premiere for a Ready to Rumble and then doing all the stuff to promote Ready to Rumble, including bringing in David Arquette. And I think if anybody hasn't seen that You Can't Kill David Arquette documentary, I recommend watching it. It's a hell of a documentary. But like, uh, he talks about not wanting to do it. Even he said, like, this is a bad idea. But then he felt like he was never in a position to say no. And the fact that Russo, who, oh, of course, it was his idea, uh, didn't still to say defends it and says, oh, we were on the cover of like New York Post or whatever some shit that was. But like, the fact, I think the fact that David Arquette knew it was a bad idea shows that at least like he or it was at least somewhat self-aware about what was yeah. happening and did the best he could with it i mean i mean if i guess andy he's in the match right it's, it's like fair enough wwe have brought in celebrities in the past you put them in a match and we're, but we look like we're going to see one at wrestlemania this year with bad buddy damian priest against the Miz and morrison combo it's highly likely so they can bring these guys in and they can yeah. do his stuff they can kind of you can hit a couple of splashes big bang boom that's the thing but the way this match is kind of that's like it's a tag title match. It's not tag title. It's a tag team match for the world title. It's him, DDP against Bischoff and Jarrett. Now, surely, surely they could either do two things. It could be, oh, Jarrett needs to get pinned for the title to change hands, and the other one could be, why not simply have DDP pin Jarrett or Bischoff, yeah. and then have David Arquette do something? But no, they have the thing of it's kind of two pin type idea thing that they went with, and obviously David Arquette pins. Eric Bischoff becomes a world champion. I mean, seriously. I mean, come on. It's it's a bad, it's a really, really bad way. And it's a great example of how you can bat book celebrities yeah. the wrong way and overuse them. Was that was that before or after King of the Ring 2000? Yeah, it was before. All right. Yeah, because obviously it was just because they could have done the it's a tag team match, but whatever team wins, like if uh, Arquette like pins somebody then DDP gets to keep the champion or, or you know vice versa mm-hmm. uh, like uh, just obviously I was just thinking of King of the Ring when The Rock pinned McMahon 
considering the McMahon wasn't the champion, but The Rock won the match. Mm-hmm. They could have done that, but obviously it's like um, Russo's got it in his head. It's like, oh, we give David Arquette, because what is it? His idea on title belts are they're just gimmicks. They're not. He doesn't believe in the the sort of prestige of them. He just thinks it's just a uh, just a sort of a prop. So obviously, in his head, he's like, "Oh, if we give it to an actor, he's not even a fake." Like she said, he's only been in like what Scream One, Two, Three. And, like, he's not even famous. It's not like putting it on, say, like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like that, where you know it's just this is a little skinny guy. Mm-hmm. Like. I think it was like famous at the time. The scream was a bad, but was like I was like given how many sequels I had. I also I found he out he was. In, I also found out he was in uh, Never Been Kissed, that classic film, and Muppets in Space. <laughs> like he, apparently, like, <laughs> not sell them very well there. No, according to you, can't kill David Arquette. Like he, he and also his, his sister, who's an actress as well. She. Oh yeah, they're from an acting family. There's like a quite few of them. Like, they clearly claim that like this is what killed his effectively affected his acting career in a negative way because like that casting register didn't take him seriously because he was the wrestling guy, and uh, and they said how before he was kind of tipped to be one of the like next big actors or something like that. Then going forward after that, they didn't really take him seriously. He was then going for like shit films just because he needed the money and all that, but. It kind of goes to show that we haven't been talking a lot about Bishop. We've talked a lot more about Russo, but if you've listened to like Bishop's podcast, like I have, he doesn't hold back whenever he's asked about working with Russo and how Russo doesn't understand the creative process. And one of the favorite things he said about Russo was that if you want to stump Russo when he explains his idea, because Russo believes his own shit, and if Russo can go out of this idea and make you think it's a good idea, if you want to stump Russo, all you have to say to him is, "Okay, what do we do next week?" And he won't have an answer for you. And that did sum up his booking. I mean, he does go from episode to episode. I mean, this is a bad example of it, but the uh, choppy choppy PP in WWE, you know, that that, 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 that closes WWE, that closes the episode. And then the next week, he's clearly been told, like, what, what are you going to do with this one? Is uh, Valvina's going to, we're going to show up and Valvina's is going to be like a, a cast in there. And it's just like, Nah, nah he, he had a bit of shrinkage. What the hell, man? Come on. <laughs> it just shows that you need a kind of filter. And that's the right. thing everybody says about Rousseau. It's like Vince was his filter. He would go to Vince and go, right, here's X, Y, and Z. And Vince would probably go, hey, Y is good. The other two are crap. So then he would push the next one and it would go. But in, yeah. in, in WCW, this particular point in, in particular, it was just like, right, I'm going to do all this. And everybody's just like, the guys above are just going to be like, all right, cool. Brilliant, cool. And yeah, it just goes with that one. And it's just that one Andy the Arquette thing is one example. But then a couple of months later, uh not even a couple of months later, maybe like September or something, I think it was, he wins the title himself as well. Yeah. Now but Russo would probably come out and say, I didn't mean for that to happen. Because he 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 wins it in a cage match because he gets speared yeah. through the cage, but isn't it essentially a hell in a cell, but it's like if you escape the cage then like you win the match yeah. and then Goldberg spears him through a, uh, through the cage. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a gimmick to as a gimmick cage. He, he yeah. means to lose it. I mean, obviously, he then goes a week later going, "I'm not a wrestler. I'm going to give the title back." It's like, well, what's the point in doing it? At least we are. Kate had a wee run. And at least yeah. they ran with. It. At least they did all the vignettes in Hollywood. We cut Russell, cut Russell just like oh, I'm the champ. Blah blah blah. Russell yeah. just like yeah. 
There we go. Didn't Arquette turn heel on DDP as well? Yeah, yeah. apparently you can't trust someone from Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, so it kind of makes sense if they're going to go with this ready to rumble thing. If he's a bad guy, he's a good guy. Like, switch up. Yeah, that's the thing. DDP is a bad guy in the film, and then the good one, the good guys in the film, Dave Arquette shows up to team with DDP, who, when they're enemies in the film, allies on TV. I know, it's fun fact about uh, Ready to Rumble is that John Cena is in that film. A weird, weird blonde, bleach blonde hair. Yeah, there, there's a scene where Goldberg's, ta- I can't remember, I was talking to uh, Arquette or something in the gym, and you see this young man in the background. Uh, you can't really see him. Hey, sorry. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's just John Cena with weird uh, blonde hair, and he's just lifting weights in the background. So, yeah. He, uh, he made his, his first appearance in a wrestling-based uh, thing on WCW. Mm-hmm. On a WCW production, for instance. Could have put the belt on him. I'm pretty sure in 2000 also we get, uh, I think it's 2000, uh, we get an WCW appearance of Charlotte Flair when when David Flair takes a camera crew to his dad's house and she come and she and her, her mum end up walking in and he basically berates them because Rick spent more time with her and Reed Flair than he did with him. Is, I don't have this in my notes, so I'm just going to ask again. Is, is the year 2000 the thing where he apparently, uh, David Flair gets Stacey Keeble pregnant? Was that the year before? No, that was in 2000, yeah. Ah, what a bad angle that was. Oh, my God. <laughs> they tried I mean, to, to imply that Rick Flair was the dad, which they thought with WWE thought years later, hmm, Lisa Evans, do you mind? We know you're pregnant in real life. Would you mind implying that Rick Flair's the dad? For a week. Oh my god, there's so much crap in this. It's, it, it, it's hard to condense this into an hour and a half, the amount of crap that goes on in this final year. Oh, oh my god, David Flair gets a push like anything else. My bloody god. Oh. Uh, I mean, what do you think about the decision to, for Russo to put the belt on himself? I don't know, McMahon done it, you know, the year before. Why not? And there was a storyline purpose in it, but. At this point, what is it? It's not even been a year and the, the, the title's changed, what, about 20 times already or something daft? I think if you include vacancies, there's like 25 title changes in 2000 alone. Yeah. And like, Scott Steiner wins it in October, I think, or October, November time, pulls it to Nitro in March uh, before looking at the bigger teeth and doing a simulcast. That's like five months. That's like fucking Bruno San Martino compared to the rest of 2000 when you really look <laughs> at it. And Scott Steiner, I think, is one of the few highlights of 2000 because of these mad rambling promos. But yes, Russo, for some reason, went on this weird mini like unbeaten run whenever he competed in matches. He had that version of War Games, the Russo's Revenge match, or whatever. He came dressed in football gear because he's legit got concussions for wrestling because he's not a trained wrestler. And he should have seen that fucking coming. And the, year, the week later, when they vacate the belt, they go, oh, well, he's, he decided to vacate because he's not a wrestler. That then led to the San Francisco 49ers match, which is taking something on a pole and doing it four times, where there's four boxes, they're taking stuff out, there's a framed photo of Scott Hall in a box, and because he just looks in the camera, just like, really? And then the final box, Booker T doesn't even grab the belt and do it. The bottom of it falls, yeah, it falls out, out the back. the belt falls down <laughs> the roof, you have to hand it back up to him. Is this an appropriate time to talk about the overuse of the honor pole matches in 2000 in WCW? So how Could many you... honor pole matches were there again? 
There's Viagra. Well, we have the one that Scott mentioned. We have the Viagra and a pole match between Kidman and is it Shane Douglas? Yeah, Kidman yeah. and Shane Douglas. Yeah. You know, yeah. because we we saw in April that Kidman could he could he didn't need it, but um, <laughs> there was one between was it our old friend Tank Abbott and Big Al. That was on a that was somewhat on a pole. Leather, it was a leather jacket on a pole match, that was. Um, I'm pretty sure Tank Abbott pulls a knife on Big L during the match. <laughs> oh my god. Someone <laughs> pulls a knife. There uh, was the... On a pole match, I think, we were amongst a couple of the luchadors in the cruiserweight division. Uh, yeah. And if someone's too big to be on a pole, then you do what Canyon does and get a forklift, where you have a Judy Bagwell on uh, a forklift match. Judy Bagwell on a forklift match is the one that's just like... Oh, it's so ridiculous! It was like, were they not? Was Canyon not stalking Judy Bagwell? <laughs> I don't know what Canyon was doing in two thousand. He tried to be like DDP for some reason, like even Tony's move calling it the Canyon Cutter and all that. And like, I don't know. What was funny about that? That happened in September, and the baby was called New Blood Rising because they got a commission a baby called with New Blood in it due to the storyline. The storyline between the New Blood and the Menace Club was done by that point. So I had no purpose for being called. But then also that I'm pretty sure there's a triple threat on that show. It's Nash, Goldberg and Steiner. And Goldberg doesn't show up till like ten minutes in and then refuses to take the power bomb, walks out, and Steiner gets pinned after taking the power bomb. And they have the commentator say claim that Goldberg didn't like the finish and thank God Scott Steiner was a professional. He's like, why are you making Tony Savory and Scott and say these shit? Say this crap. Oh, it's, it's baffling. It's baffling. I mean, I think about Canyon is Canyon takes Canyon. I remember take a really, really bad looking bump, or Mike Awesome like chucks him off the triple cage. Mm. It just like flips, and it's like it's obviously a gimmick stage, but it just kind of flops right oh, through it. No. And then he then turns on DDP when he comes back. It's like, mate, he did they throw you off the bloody cage? <laughs> There's like a moment where he's like in a wheelchair, but then he gets up and then just atta- he gets up from the wheelchair and attacks attacks DDP. So like, if you wanted to know what the Linda McMahon standing up moment would be like, if there was much less of a pop, there is the example for you. <laughs> oh man, it's crazy. But I the, the pinata and the pole match is is I can't I don't even know half the guys that were in the match. There's Juventud Guerrero's in it, who I know. Who, uh, Psychosis and it's Silver King. Valeno 5 and El Dandy. <laughs> How dare you doubt El Dandy? Blood, <laughs> one of Bret Hart's greatest promos, that. Ah, the match mercifully ended when Steve, Dr. Death Steve Williams interfered. What the heck is Dr. Death WCW in 2000? He got paired with Oklahoma. Oh, God. I, oh, was Oklahoma 2000 as well? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that was earlier. I thought it was the, the, the end of the year before. It's 2000 also I mean, when the Mexican wrestlers would come out and uh, all their dialogue would be dubbed and nobody told them that that was going to happen. <laughs> so they were really legitimately pissed off about it. <laughs> and uh, Human Chico Guerrero got called the juice uh, to parody the rock, but apparently uh, Human did developed an attitude problem because everybody knew that this juice character was a joke. Except him, where he he took it too seriously. Ah, uh, uh, the juicy! 
Yeah, I remember. I remember. It was real. It, it got really, really into it. It was oh, something else. Two thousand. What the heck is this? There is so much crap in this year two thousand. I mean, we've got to talk about this next one. That this next incident I've got here, though, is is arguably one of the most infamous in, in, incidents in wrestling because of how it blurs the line between real life and kayfabe. It's the incident that took place at Bash of the Beach in the year 2000 when we were set to see Jeff Jarrett defend his World Heavyweight Championship against Hulk Hogan where shenanigans, Scott, I think it's fair to say, took place over the course of not just the show but in the day, in the day that led up to the show. Yeah, because obviously Jared and Russo, I think a lot of people know, are real-life mates. And so... Uh, Russo wanted Jarrett to beat Hogan just cleanly, and Hogan said no. Which, given Jarrett, really all he did, he did like title reigns up to that point. That lasted a couple of weeks, and only got them because of the storyline. You can kind of see maybe why that happened. And then, so then they tried to like have a whole shenanigan, like all these people got to come out and attack Hogan. Then Jarrett takes advantage, and then Hogan said no. And then they currently worked out a thing where they do the lie down angle that they did. And then Hogan would leave, the crown a new champion, and Hogan would come back months later, claiming he's the real world champion and all that. And then as soon as he left the building, Russo comes out and shoots on him and mm. calls him that that bald son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, and like people get, get for credit mentioned like Billy Coon called mentioned Hogan's bald spot. Like he doesn't have a bald spot. He has no hair on the top, but has some hanging on, clinging to it for delay for in the back. That's not a bald spot. But apparently Hogan was very self conscious about it, even wearing a bandana. Round his head, which didn't cover up anything on top, so I don't know what the point that was. Well, didn't he get like offended when uh, Brock Lesnar said to him, like, called him like old man or grandpa, and he was like, oh, like, what's he do? It's like, you are in your 60s, mate. You are old enough to be someone's granddad. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a big problem with this whole thing, I think. It's like the week before they have to say, they, apparently, some, they send somebody to tell Hogan, like, you're doing a job to Jenna. And they send John Laurinaitis to do it. John Yates. Hey, Hogan. Do you think People. he thought like that back then? Yeah. Hogan, <laughs> you're going to get pinned by Jeff J. I don't know. Uh, because yeah, Scott was saying, there was that big idea where it was, they were going to like blood their lines and Hogan like was going to come back. Yeah, the real champion. But again, is it is it that thing of... Cause, the Russo coming out because he says that no, no, they knew he was going to come out and actually like cut a shit promo, and then obviously he gets sued for uh, was it the I can't pronounce the word defamation of character. Defamation. I was going to say deflamination. I was like, that's not uh, funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and it's just again, it's like then and then that's the last time that uh, Hogan appears on and on WCW programming. That you just lost your biggest star. I know he wasn't a fan of Hogan, but it's still like you're still he's your biggest star in the company. Scott, could you imagine if they did that with the internet at the stage it is the now? Could you imagine that whole thing? I don't think it would have went over. It would have been as controversial because people would have thought, "Shoot, right away," or Hogan would have just read on Twitter and went, "You know something, bro? I have been screwed by that Russo." But no, it's just this whole. Because you didn't actually know what happened, you never heard from Hogan again in the company. It was just like, what the heck is it? What the, is Russell really just came out there and scolded them? Yeah, yeah. Because like I think uh, you'd have you'd have people saying their different viewpoints, saying they they thought this and that, and you have 
all the different news sites coming out and saying like so and so said this or so and so heard from this person's uncle twice removed that Hogan did know it was happening. So but also you didn't you were just watching on TV if you like read the observer at the time, that was really the only source of information. But I think it would have been clear like even today he was they knew about it. Whereas Bischoff said like Russell's a lie, he basically went behind our backs and that and I think that was the final straw for Bischoff for a while in WCW because he said he didn't want to work with Russo again because he felt he'd been lied to and he also said that's partly partly why he came to TNA in the first place is that like TNA wanted Hogan not him but Hogan wanted Bischoff to come with him because he didn't trust Russo because he knew Russo was working for TNA and so wanted basically Bischoff there to help negotiate his deal for him so that he wouldn't get screwed by Russo again um, it, makes perf- it makes perfect sense I mean I, I- and the whole thing with creative control with Hogan, do you maybe think Hogan was being a bit selfish in that way and not putting over the guy in general? I mean, I think Hogan apparently, I think there was talk like maybe guys like Sid and all these type of, the Millionaires Club type guys he would have happily put over, but he didn't really want to put Jenna over, which was I think part of the issue at this particular point. There was never really a, a way through for these you guys. The thing is, though, with Jarrett, like Jarrett has never been like, uh, you know, he never came from WWE as like a uh, like a a sort of a world champion. He was always like Intercontinental. He was mid card at best, and then it's like it comes to WCW, and it's like his mates basically booking him in to be a world champion again. And, and he doesn't seem like a viable threat. But again, Hogan, Hogan, selfish anyways. Like it's uh, you know, it, you don't have to go that far along to see his selfishness and all that, where it's like he wouldn't drop the, the, the belt to Bret Hart because he didn't see Bret Hart as a, a capable champion. And was it him and like Hart and Jeff Jarrett are probably about the same middle-class weight. But yeah, again, it's like he he, he sort of um, lost to Billy Kidman. And I think he just took a few losses and then he was like, no, I'm not going to lose this. I'm going to use my creative control, which is just a stupid thing to put in a, a wrestler's contract anyways. Mm-hmm. I think and, uh, claims the one that, that, that I'm saying best week for refusing Russell's original ideas. It's like oh, that was one of the only times I ever used creative control, brother. And you look at that here in the stories you hear about Hogan, you listen to that thinking you're talking absolute bollocks here, aren't you? Just because Russell's in the wrong here doesn't make you in the past any less of an arsehole. Yeah. He's just trying to cover his own arse there. But I think that's the thing where there wasn't an angle, much like when the NWO yeah. kind of came in, there wasn't that See, much of an angle when it came in and. The thing again, that's, again, goes back to the problem of the new the new being heels because like Russell's real plan was I don't think he liked Hogan or Flair, or most of the Millionaires Club, and legit. So his whole thing was, oh yeah, we're just gonna take these guys who have helped build the company, who have been they're still draws. We're just gonna push them away and legit want them out of TV. So these new guys come and come in that nobody really knows that much or has had that time to invest in. So you want to do is to get rid of their established guys, which is not a good business idea, which goes to show that. Not only does he not really understand creative, he didn't understand fucking business either. See, I wouldn't be surprised if Hogan like did say to like Russell, like, yeah, like, we'll do this, we'll do that, and yeah, go out there and uh, do your promo, and then because and then he knew in the back of his head, it's like, yeah, I could sue him for defamation because he probably would have saw the writing on the wall. Like this is just speculation, obviously, but I, it's just like I wouldn't like Hogan's that type of person who would do something like that, who would feed the, you know, he would feed somebody to the lines, you know. The, the hilarity of the defamation of character thing is like, ah, yeah. yeah. And the court apparently just went, well, this happened on a wrestling show. It's all Didn't scripted. he win it, though? Didn't, wasn't no. it settled out of the court? No. I think it was, I don't think he, I think they just said, apparently, I'm sure they just said that it was, it's a, it's, it's a wrestling show. 
Yeah. It's not, it apparently it wasn't even settled until long after WCW had died anyway. Yeah, 2002. So I think by that point, but so by that point, it even matters what was said because it happened and it comes, it doesn't exist anymore. No. It's something, I mean, Russo obviously, see if, see if that was planned, you know, Russo's promo is a classic heel promo, but if it's not planned, it's just him being, it's just him being a better guy, you know, which... Yeah. I think you can rename this show the Vince Russo depreciation hour. <laughs> I mean, he's a big part of 2000, so he's going to take some flagons rightfully so. He yeah. does fairly deserve it. I mean, come on, we mentioned mentioned all the other pole matches, which is apparently his thing. We also talk about the title changes, which is a big thing as well. I mean, that, that title was hot potatoed like something else. I mean... WWE hot potatoed the European title and the hardcore title. They did not hot potato the world titles to that extent. They kind of did in a way at times, but well, it was too like, I was just going to say that uh, in 2000, WWF uh, did the title only change six times in that year, in 2000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people say, well, what Rock Triple H went on about like, flipping title back and forth because they would have like, one pay view Rock wins and one pay view Triple H wins it for a little while. But then, like, that, even then, that did, worked, it was six times compared to like yeah. twenty odd in WCW. Yeah. It's just like it's Jarrett DDP, Jarrett DDP, Arquette, you know, type idea. Flair Nash, Flair Nash, you know. And then Booker T, Booker Flair, T leaves. Flair forfeits it to Nash, which is an official <laughs> title change. Oh, I get over it. Uh, but you know, Booker T arrives in WWE as a five-time champion. It's like. I remember him saying the five time thing when he showed up, and I was like, "I'm sure you lost just you lost your tea when I last remembered seeing you." <laughs> he technically showed up as a he showed up as a four time champion after invasion. Kurt Angle won the WC title for yeah. a week, and then he won it back. Yeah, that was <laughs> like, the five time. And like I remember that final night was they built him as the night of champions, and the opening match is WCW US champion Booker D going up against world champion. Scott Steiner, that's your opening match. And it goes like, what, five minutes? Yeah, it's something, it's something else, you know. But, hey, oh, but that's just the, the hot potato nature of it. But they kind of, they move into 2001 and they probably have some sort of optimism about themselves. But mm. the first pay-per-view of 2001 does not go to plan, Scott, with the... Yeah. With... The decision to somebody... I mean, I want to know what goes through a guy's head when he says to Psycho Sid. I'm, I'm like, Psycho Sid, come on, he's had absolute presence. Maybe you should try doing some top rope moves. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe the man who convinced uh, Sid to do that spot was none other than our old pal, Johnny, who said he should like do some more like moves off the top or do something to... Versifies obviously a big guy who can fly. That'll be interesting. Uh, but get putting off doing it and putting off doing it. And I remember on the reboot intro when he says and they hand the belt over to uh, to Bischoff. They say like, "Oh, if he punches Bischoff, that's his career over." Like, no, hand it over or have it your year later have your career ended because you broke your leg horribly. Which the camera actually on the live preview cuts away from before he jumps off the top. So, because it cuts to the backstage because of the mystery opponents coming out in this big this match, which turns out to be Animal. But as soon as he comes out, he can't do anything to actually impact the match because Sid's lying there going, ah, because his leg's <laughs> bent in half. And like, so the, the pay-per-view crowd, 
people <sighs> bought on pay per view didn't actually get to see it. Someone did the WWE the next night go, oh, you missed this that happened last night. So you're doing tonight show, you see, look at Sid's leg snap in half. Yeah. Um, that is a clip that uh, I remember first seeing on Botchmania and any like wrestling mistakes and that. And if I talk to someone and they say, oh, wrestling's fake, and I say, like, oh, it is it? And I show them that video. And they're like, yeah, try and fake that. And man's leg snapping into it's, li- it's literally like. Oh, just the. Yeah. Just the. So, I know. Just, 20 years later. Top for your leg to be that for all that landing on one leg with that much weight. Just, yeah. Did, like, did you see apparently it? Having his, apparently, having his boot on. Apparently, the way his boot was tied, that if he didn't have his boot on the way he did, the bone would be sticking out more. But yeah. his boot on apparently saved him. Yeah. It, like, if, if he would have done a double, if he would have done a, a drop kick. From the the because it was it wasn't even on the top rope it was on the middle rope. Mm-hmm. You could have done it. You could have done it. Just do an axe yeah. handle. Don't need. Like, mm. Why is it? Why are you doing a big boot with one leg? Like that's yeah. not even a natural move. I know it's just a yeah. It's so weird. Unless you do it the way Van Dam does it. The Van Dam kind of does the kind of the mm. when his kick off the rope is a bit different. But he literally is just like big boot. They're trying to land. Watch it in slow motion. You got this little diners and while he's the heel like champion at the time, and you got Medeja, he's like Valley on the outside. You see it in slow motion. She's on the other side of the ring, and her reaction to then seeing his leg snap is like something else. She's like, "Oh God!" So she turns away, as most people who'd watch it probably would. But yeah, it was like Sid, Jada, and Steiner, and they're hyping up a fourth man. And they're like, "Oh God, it's Woodwire!" But as soon as he gets to the ring, it's just like puts a couple of bits to him, and Steiner quickly covers him because Sid is screaming in agony because he's like, <laughs> "I'm not surprised." <laughs> So I'm just there, just amazed. I'm just ah, ah. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh because it is awful. But just screaming in agony, like Scott Steiner, just like what's going on? He's different, like you know, not realizing he's like like pointing in a different way. <laughs> Sorry. Well, he didn't hook the leg, eh? When he went. Yeah, I know. I know. I was thinking, imagine he hooked the leg. I was like, ah, it's like legs right in his face. He shoots right in his face. I have like. There's two memories that have sting of uh, no sting, so said of this this year. It's that, and he he gets chucked through a table by the wall. Bloody wall! <laughs> Does he not end up in that stable that GI Ju- Huey erection are in? I, mean, I think it's Van Hammer or something like that. The wall. I remember Alex Wright, the German wrestler in '99, got repackaged as Berlin. And got the wall as his as his bodyguard, so it'd be Berlin and the wall. Oh no! <laughs> got some great ideas, don't they? Fan, yeah. fan hammer oh, on on that. Again, I mentioned that again. That episode of uh, Nitro, uh, they have the, there's the guys in the ring, and then certain guys come out. Like you obviously you get Jarrett comes out, Booker T comes out, and then Van Hammer comes out with them. It's just like who, who even are you? You're not in the, any tournaments. You're not in the you. You're not in the hardcore title picture you're not in the six man for the cruiserweight because you're about 300 pounds because you expect the guys with names to actually get a bit of an entrance when the show starts like it's like when you have like a battle royale the andre battle royale where everybody walks every together and then the guys who might actually win it get like the entrance and like van hammer being amongst booker t and jada and everybody like it's one of those things like one of these things is not like the other ah but you kind of feel at that point it's it's kind of curtains in that way. The company's kind of running its toll. Right. And apparently that's getting felt behind the scenes. There's apparently a massive amount of debt, which 
some people say it's some people's fault, some people say it's other people's fault. A lot of people blame Russo, no surprise there. Yeah. And so we're around 60 million. Yeah, 60 million, million I saw as well. <sighs> Crazy. They were, lose, they were losing an average, what is it, 12 to 17 million a, a, a month or a year or something like that before. We, we, use, we only have to look at like how much W actually bought them for. Because apparently the value yeah, dropped significantly from how much they would have been worth if they got bought out the year before. At that same time, because like I think they got two million dollars from a different lawsuit like that. I can't remember. What. I think it was something to do with Scott Hall and that and Nash acting like they're dying. I can't remember. They got money from some loss like two or three billion dollars. And Bruce Pritchard tells the story of a uh, one time where he had a chat with Jeremy Devitt at one of his live shows, and someone asked him, "Jerry, what did you guys spend that money on?" And he joked, "WCW." <laughs> I mean, credit where credit's due, Scott. Eric Bischoff, the man synonymous with that company, tries to step in and save it. And if you listen to various documentaries, podcasts or something like that, he was so, so close to keeping that company afloat. Yeah. And like we did a version of a W Untold talking about what the plan was because like, he said like the reboot night show they took one week off to do like a, a clip show and then they did the reboot night show on April 10th where he said we should have taken a lot longer off to start this new version of WCW and that's what the plan was they were going to take a couple months off to come back with a paper called The Big Bang and they were close but I think it's a fact that they didn't have a television deal and that was like the bend they got a good product they thought they had a good product they were going to be able to present but without the means to distribute it it, it wasn't worth nearly as much as again why WWE bought it for so little like if it was modern day and something that's happened with a company, you just start your own streaming service or your only like on-demand thing, which so many companies have got, which would have made it all as simple, but that wasn't an option at the time. And like the guy, I can't remember the name, Jeff something, I can't remember, uh, who was like one of the guys at the top at uh, Warner and AOL and that, who was the one who made the decision to take WCW off TV. Mm-hmm. A lot of people give him a lot of flack, but Bush obviously said that this guy was a wrestling fan, contrary to popular belief, and he, when he was younger, but he basically just made the decision, like, this company, like we've been just mentioned, lost us millions of dollars last year, and the ratings have been plummeting since, like, 99. So I think business-wise, you can see why nobody wanted to take a chance on them on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I yeah. think as well, it was kind of, and it was kind of just falling on from, uh, it was to early 2001, you know, the hot period, 1999-2000, is kind of ending. And I don't know many companies who wanted to take the chance at that particular point and, uh, you know, go for a wrestling company. I mean, if you look currently now, yeah. the company who took the punt on AEW is TNT. Yeah. Who were, they were already on anyway, so no, one else, no other wrestling company outside of WWE, really, all these wee companies have took them on, so a company WCW size, they would have wanted the bigger stage. Yeah, because I think as well, uh, what did Bishop it said? He said if you don't have TV, then your company's not worth anything. And I don't know if it's true, I remember reading this, but apparently when Steiner and Hall went uh, to WCW originally, and they were said they were basically sent by WWE to invade, and obviously McMahon sued. I heard it was like in a contract, it was like if. WCW was ever up for sale, and he would get the first. He would be able to make the first offer, and that was why he managed to, yeah, like purchase um, it. Yeah, it was one of those like little small like terms, like you have like first dibs on any assets. WCW that, that may go up for sale in the future. And I think they didn't think anything of it, and now yeah. 
LAW thought the day would come a few years later where all of their assets are available for a fraction of what they should have been worth. Because mm. if you look at those assets, I mean, video libraries in themselves are a fantastic asset for a wrestling company. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they launched the, the WWE Network 13 years later. And to be able to have that, I mean, you look at some of the stuff that happened in the old day WCW, I mean, early day stuff with Flair and Sting, late 80s early 90s nwo and and it is good as well to see that sort of thing of like oh well where was like austin before he was in wwe and it's like oh yeah he was studying steve austin and like uh wcw and he was like like you know he was an up-and-comer mid-carder and it's good that they managed to like that video library like was just a bit because how many wrestlers that not many people know of. It's like now they own WCW. It's like oh, now you can see all their, you know, the previous work. I guess because they bring in guys like the Radicals and like the Radicals were like lower mid card guys in WCW, yeah. and they were trying to make them feel like a big deal. Like these guys coming over from that other place, but a lot of people didn't really watch WCW and about two thousand. Who were if they were fan of WWE because WWE's narrative was don't watch WCW. They're the enemy. We're the ones you want to watch. As they were surprised when nobody cared when a bunch of WCW guys came in. Yeah. And like you yeah. say, like, oh, we couldn't we couldn't have paid to uh, buy these contracts. Like you were in your one of your most profitable periods of all time at that point. You couldn't have bought you like it's like nowadays we say, Oh, we need to let all these people go because you know, we can't afford it during the pandemic and then end of twenty twenty, we've had one of our most profitable years because all these TV never despite not having live despite not having live crowds. Yeah, you know, apparently live crowds is the money maker input for them. And, and now you had, and then they've got this period where you've got not only have you got live crowds, you've got the most rabid live crowds who are spending the most money. I mean, they bought out WCW and it, was, and it was announced the same week as WrestleMania X7. I know, that was crazy timing. Crazy, mm. crazy timing. And then the whole thing ends obviously, Vince buys, w, buys WCW and puts the WCW fans at their misery. Because let's be honest, if you talk about last year's as a fan, that's a rough year to have, you know. Oh, yeah. We've not even talked, and we've not even talked about some stuff like uh, Scott Steiner and the Tiger, you know, oh, early, early, early going for a bit in the hangover. They should have had him in the hangover instead of Mike Tyson. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's my Tiger. There's a thirty-three and a third chance that will kill you. <laughs> you go to WCW Nitro in two thousand on the network. You look at the thumbnails they have. Three thumbnails in a row that I watched, that's all work while scrolling through to find the reboot Nitro War. Scott Steiner with a tiger. There's one where the thumbnail is Jeff Jarrett done up his surfer sig holding a credit card with Sting's face on it. And then there's one where Russo's come out in some sort of weird Pope mobile. <laughs> for some reason. But yeah, like WCW 2000, if you're a dedicated like fan, if you're actually watching it all the way to the end, then credit to you. But like watching it is like in The Simpsons with a pig is running and Homer and Bart chasing after that pig that gets loose. It's just, it's just a, it's just a loss, loss of sixty million dollars. It's still good. It's still good. It's just Hi. Hogan walking out. It's still good. It's still good. It's gone. Hi, because you got that, that last ever episode of Nitro, where it kicks it off with Vince McMahon going, "I have bought my competition." Blah 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 blah. And you think this could be a very chaotic night? You're in, you're in for something like, "Oh, what's going to happen?" Blah 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 blah. And we get treated to probably the worst final shows I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I thought this was alright when I, when I watched it when I was younger because it was like I was nine Wrestlemania was coming up it was exciting mm. you watch this back in hindsight 
I mean, they have they, they kick off the show with Booker T, Scott Steiner, title for title. I think it lasts about three minutes, and it's like the most uneventful title match you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and like it's... throughout the night, you get like all these signs of Vince on WCW slagging them, and always yeah. like he fires Jeff Jarrett on live TV. But then also on Raw, he's got segments, separate ones where he's talking about it, where he's on the phone and say like, oh, he's got two TVs, he's got Raw on one and WCW on the other. Where he's like, oh, can you believe what they're putting on in their final show? But look at who we're gonna have later. We're gonna have Undertaker. We're gonna have Raw. Like, why are you slagging up the company you just announced that you've purchased? And then, like, Vince on that same Raw keeps, like, saying, based on Craig Jackson, who should we bring in? Goldberg? Hey! Like, Sluger? Ooh. It's, it's all the names he goes... You're the only ones that he mentions they actually get brings in. None of the other ones does he bring in. But he mentions Aye. Goldberg, he doesn't come in. I know, it's just like... Bugatti! Bagwell! I mean, it's amazing that Vince had a bit of knowledge of the other product at this particular yeah. thing. The only one he remembered, oh, Jeff Jarrett. Let's fire him. The Jeff Jarrett fire was on Raw, I'm sure, as well. I don't think it was yeah. on WCW. Or either that or they've cut it from the network. Can't even remember. Because all the segments on Nitro, there was one of him backstage on the phone. There was one of him having a good time with Trish. <laughs> there was one with him and Regal. And that was it. Oh, the, Re- the Regal one is good because he, like, he says, like, are you sure you want to purchase those title? And he slags them up. He's watching the slags the people in Florida. That's where WWE's being held. And it cuts back. And Tony Schiavone's like, I'm not getting hired by WWE. So he starts, like, shitting all over Stephen Regal. Like, like, oh, we've had to do a lot of crazy things here, WWE Regal. Like, putting your ass over every week. <laughs> oh, man. But... Other than that, I mean, they kind of end with uh, some of the matches on that final Nitro were horrendous. Because I know in the documentaries, they always make out it's such a special night. uh, Because you had like Sting versus Ric Flair, uh, Booker T winning the title again. And it's like, oh, these incredible moments we wanted to. But yeah, I've never actually seen the last episode. I've only seen clips of it. So it's quite interesting to know how bad it actually was. They rattle through. They're out for most of the title matches in about an hour. Oh, God. You have Rumi Studio and Billy Kidman won the Cruiserweight Tag Titles that then immediately get deactivated. Uh, well, one of the only t- matches that doesn't have a title is Bam Bam Bigelow versus Sean Stadia. And if Bigelow wins, he gets to give Stadia like, a tattoo because that was I'm his not- gimmick at the time. And then, like with Flair, apparently he was going to a crisis of confidence. So he comes out of wrestling, he wrestles in a t shirt. He comes up with a robe with a t-shirt on underneath yeah. it, and literally they have the match. They hug, and literally after like, well, they're celebrating for like twenty seconds in the ring, and then it cuts to Raw. That's where the simulcast starts. Like they get Sting and yeah. Flair get cut off by Vince McMahon. I this the Stacey at Bam Bam Bigelow match. I think it lasts about thirty seconds. I think that was the one feud that they had going. And it's like, right, we need to conclude that this feud. People want to see what happens with Sean Stasiak and Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah, because I know uh, what is it when Booker T and all that are talking about it, they just say it's like they come in and it's just a whole different like crew and producers. Like, yeah, obviously, WWE like, sent all their guys over and stuff, so obviously it's like they don't really know any of the storylines and stuff. So obviously, they're just like, come on, let's wrap this up so we can like plug WrestleMania. I think, like, uh, Pritchard, Johnny Ace, 
I think Jason went back to WWE and then Shane obviously was sent down to get a roll backstage because he had to come out and do the big reveal that he'd that he'd bought WWE. So what, the final angle of WWE is promoting a match for WrestleMania. Yeah. It wasn't... It was McMahon on the contract, but it wasn't Vince McMahon. It's, 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 an ep- it's an epic moment. It does kind of follow Vince. Vince is in that ring for about 15 minutes, just right and raving, blah, 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 blah. blah. He's, it's like he's waited so many years for this moment. And then the thing with Shane, it lasts about, two, about a minute. Just him coming out going, I'm in Panama City. And the contract, the name on the contract says McMahon. It's like, and then the random WCW guys show up at WrestleMania and the crowd, Chavo Guerrero and all that type of guys. Oh, they're in the, what is it, the uh, the president's box. And, uh, the, uh... Aye. It's like, yeah. Not even, I obviously, because they can buy the other guys at their contracts. Yeah. <laughs> Spence, obviously, gloating about the fact that he's he's finally won this, this Monday Night War. It just reminds me like when Father Ted wins that award and he just spends ages <laughs> rattling up all the names of people who didn't believe in him and he's got to stay like a tongue back hours later. And now let's move on to lawyers. And it's me down another grocery. Yeah, we're just slowly leaving as it goes on. <laughs> let's oh, get on to Jeff Jarrett. Like, Vince, everybody's leaving. Can you get to the point? Of all the guys, you would never believe that Jeff Jarrett's the one who's got quite a prominent role backstage. <laughs> He's an agent. It's just like, you fired the guy on TV, <laughs> on live TV. He's not even on the WCW card that night. It's just a random thing. Uh, I know. I always remember it was on the card defending the Cruiser Hotel against Chavo Guerrero, and Shane Helms gets a job backstage after getting brought in and get given in the Hurricane character, which nobody could have foreseen how that would have got over. Yeah, no, that's mental. It's like one of the most over buddy gimmicks. Uh, like you guys, when he came back at the Rumble, all right, when we all saw him come back at the Rumble, I was, I was happy to see him back. Yeah, perhaps I tried to do that double choke slam again and it uh, didn't work that time. No. So, I mean, to get, a, to get a round off this show, I mean, there's loads of stuff in the year 2000, it's hard, in the early 2001, it's hard to kind of summarise all the things that happened, but we kind of did our best. I'd like you both to briefly summarise in a few words your thoughts on WCW's final year. Uh, Scott, I'll start with you. Oh, I mean, I like to also look at I'll say, oh, well, they, they didn't have this and they didn't have that, and so and so was doing this. Everything like actually having to sit down and watch stuff for this show was sure I mean, look at the uh, the little thumbnails you have, like bits you can skip to different parts of the show mm-hmm. on the network. There are so many of them on just a nitro in two thousand. That's it makes your head spin. Uh, so it's a, it's a sad, sad that it got to that state, but. I think that in the end it was a mercy kill when we bought them out because they were a slog to sit through by the end. Uh, Andy? Uh, I think it was probably one of the greatest things on TV at that time. I'm just joking, that's a swerve, bro. Just uh, trying to get a bit of Finch Russell <laughs> there. As you said, Finch Russell wanted to do car crash TV and it, exactly what it was. It just wasn't a nice car crash. It was a horrible, just like, no one's coming out of it unscathed car crash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think part of the damage has been done before this final year. I mean, mm. there was a lot of stuff they did wrong, overbooking all the older talent so much, you know, relying on them thing. But they brought the wrong guy in to try and save the ship. 
I'd recommend people go back and watch at least one episode of Nitro Thunder from 2000, just so that whenever there's a bad episode of Raw in the future, compare it to this and see if you th- they'll think it's as bad as uh, you think it is. Like, how, what yeah. we have now compared to what there was in the past. Yeah, I think we need to be a bit grateful in that, in that respect. Yeah. You know, it, could be, it could be worse. It could be, you know... Whatever that was in that episode that I keep talking about, you know. I mean, come on, the cat. Why is the cat there? Of all the guys you have in that ring, you bring the cat out. You could have brought out Har- the Harris brothers, you know. You know, they, they seem to like the Harris brothers at this particular point. Just bring them out and have them battle Sting. Not like. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But WCW, the final year. I know. Mm. Bad. 20 years. It's unbelievable it's been 20 years. Crazy. I mean, you look at the scale. You've got like a a meter. You've got WCW's last year's at the negative end and then you get AEW's first year's at the top end. It's like... (laughs) Mm. Completely different ends of the spectrum. That's 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 the best way I can compare it for anybody who's not listening. They went and watched it, but should go back and watch some of this stuff. It sucks, but it it might cheer you up on a day that you've got the cold or something like that, or you just can't be bored doing it, you know, something to get cheered you Yeah, if you think life's bad, then watch an episode of 2000. If you're fed up with the... If you were one of the few people watching WCW in 2000, 2001, let us know what was going through your mind at the time that made you stick with these people. How loyal a person are you, really? If you offer, if you find the COVID briefings mind numbing, watch <laughs> June episode of Nitro. <laughs> oh Jesus! And on that note, I think that's a good time to wrap up this particular episode of ESSR feature here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet channel. If you've listened to us for the first time and you are enjoyed it, please subscribe and listen to it. We've got so much content that comes out every week here on the podcast. ESSR feature, which this is part of, comes out every Tuesday. And in the next couple of weeks, we're doing a lot as we lead up to WrestleMania. Next week, we'll be looking back on WrestleMania 17, which perfect timing to end the show at that particular point. And we go to WrestleMania 17. It's not as if we planned it at all. And we'll also be looking at uh, WrestleMania matches that never happened as well. So a lot of good stuff coming up there. Every Thursday, we also do ESSR Central, which goes through all the main news, all the reviews, all the previews. There's a lot of stuff, obviously, coming up as we get closer to WrestleMania season. Or we are in WrestleMania season, sorry. With all the big rumoured matches and, of course, what actually goes on on the shows to come. We've also got all the other shows that come out. Saturday Draft Live, East Meets West, so much content on the podcast platform. And as I said as well, social media, Suplex Retweet, you can hear all everything we're doing. Got some stuff on YouTube as well. Plenty of content on there. The Book It Tournament final, Quiz Showdown, Retro Reviews are on there again. So much going to happen there. So plenty of stuff to, that you can find from Suplex Retweet to keep you going and to give you all the info you need on wrestling, past, present, and potentially future. Uh, I'd like to thank my panel for the show. I'd like to thank Scott. Thank you very much. It was, it was fun to poke fun at stuff. It was fun to actually watch it. And to Andy, thank Andy. Thanks for having us back. It's been a, a long hiatus, but hopefully you'll see a little bit more of me. <laughs> Absolutely. From myself, Stephen Wilson, we will see you next time. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat, East Meets West. 
where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check out on the Eat Sleep Suplex Receipt podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now.